Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Family Recovery Projects podcast. Join us every week to hear about our mission, why we do what we do, and how we can help your family navigate through the turbulence of getting treatment for a loved one. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to our Sunday evening podcast. You are here live with me, Jacqueline Sazzi. I am one of the associate directors here at the Family Recovery Project. And we are starting the podcast late this evening because we had just a little scheduling snafu and Frank had some family business to attend to, nothing bad, Um, just something that came up and he got the time wrong. And so, you know, we're flexible, so we decided to just hold off and wait. And it turns out that his um, what he had going on is running a little bit late. So it's just me tonight, and Frank may join us a little bit later. But for now, I'm sorry to say you're going to have to listen to me talk for a little while without Frank. Um, so what we had slated to talk about tonight was expectations. And it, this came up because... In talking about codependency and how overused that term is in the the treatment and recovery field, a lot of, um, well, there were a lot of things that came up that are overused in the treatment and recovery field. And and one that's a really hot topic to Frank, um, it, it, it really pushes his buttons, is the uh, the conversation that inevitably surfaces around a parent's expectations. And from my, you know, again, I'm not a parent and I've never had a child in treatment. I'm coming at this whole thing from the perspective of someone who was a part of the recovery community for almost 20 years and, uh, you know, as, as a as a member and working as, a, you know, my technical term was behavioral health technician, outpatient counselor, um, I was a manager of a sober living center for a little while. I did some administration uh, of a, you know, a drug abuse program. And so I was, you know, I was in entrenched in, in the, the treatment field for 12, 12, almost 13 years, I think, 12 or 13 years. And so that that's where I come from. So Frank and I really do strike such a great balance because he really brings the parent's perspective and, I bring the perspective of someone going through the treatment process and then someone on the other end where I'm actually facilitating the treatment process. So when we, you know, there there will be topics like these that come up where Frank has some um, really strong feelings about a subject and it really gets me thinking about how I may have presented it as a treatment provider during the time that I was doing that. And, and so when we talk about the, you know, how expectations are defined and how they're, um, what's the word, how they're discussed, I guess, throughout the treatment process, one of the, one of the things that came up as Frank and I were talking about it was, well, actually were two things. One was expectations versus reality and just what a catch 22 that can be and and such a just such a setup for parents 
to be kind of um, unceremoniously presented with the idea that their expectations are not reality. And two, the expectations breed resentment. And that was one that I heard a lot. And and I do feel like that it, it almost becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy because expectations don't necessarily have to breed resentment. I think that having expectations of people, places, things, situations, um, products that we use, I, I think that's really normal and really human. And I think to say, to make a blanket statement that expectations breed resentment is just really short-sighted and it's not, it doesn't give enough depth to a really complex ideal. And so that's what Frank and I have been talking a lot about a lot over the past few weeks since we did the, the codependency podcast is this, this, all this stuff around expectations. And so I guess a little bit of what I would like to start with, because he and I are very aware, you know, with both of our, our, our different experiences with this topic and with our, you know, beliefs and theories and passion around why this is yet another concept that we believe really needs to be fleshed out more especially when it comes to dealing with parents and families, because it, it, you know, a lot of what I hear from Frank and what I've heard from other parents, you know, that I've worked with and that have been in, you know, kind of in the treatment community for a while, if they have a, you know, a young person or a loved one who has been around treatment programs for any number of years is that this is something that's just kind of thrown around and, and never, and again, I don't, I don't want to make an assumption that every treatment center does this. Okay. So please understand, let, let me, let me throw out this disclaimer. Now I'm not saying every treatment center does this. I am saying the ones that I worked with did this and that Frank's experience also showed this, but that's just two of us. Um, you know, we do have a couple of other people, well, more than a couple. We have a lot of other people that we've we've talked to over the years that we've been, you know, researching and planning and um, developing this this project that have had similar experiences to us, obviously. That's why we decided to, to do what we do. Um, but definitely, you know, let me throw that out there that, that I'm speaking from the experience of myself and, and tonight speaking a little bit for Frank. But um, on that note, I do notice that Frank has joined us. So let me let him in. Hi, Frank. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, really full at a family dinner out here. I kind of snuck out. I'm in the parking lot, so please excuse any background noise that might go by. But uh, <laughs> I was just enjo- I was just relaxing and enjoying your intro. I think you were uh, put a good, uh, you know, pretty good perspective on you know what we've been talking about and what we've been thinking about. What really needs a lot of work in our community. So um, it's uh, very pleased to hear how you kind of phrase that, and also to provide that disclaimer with respect to. You know, not everybody plays this game, um, but uh, right. we, we have found more than our share. 
so I yeah, love I mean, that you brought that up initially. Yeah, and I mean, definitely what I was about to say was definitely enough people have experienced this that it has, it, it, that's what sparked the flame that we now carry. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if there, if there wasn't enough experience out there besides just ours that shows that some of these things are just not being dealt with in a way that's helpful to families. So, so yeah, so that's, you know, that's a lot of what I was, about to get into was around the first part, the um, expectations versus reality. And, and you and I had a great conversation about this earlier this week, so we can probably start here. But, um, you know, I mean, for sure, when a parent gets the confirmation that their child is using slash abusing drugs or alcohol, there are expectations that are smashed right then and there. And and the expectation, so this is where I think, you know, some treatment professionals uh, lose sight of who they're dealing with. I'll put it that way. They They lose sight of every family they work with. This is the, for the most part, and sometimes not, but it doesn't matter, I don't think. Um, this is the first or maybe third or maybe fifth, but you know, a lot of times the first time this parent has really been faced with the fact that their child is not going to or maybe is not going to, you know, go to college and, you know, get a degree and have a career and get married and have children and two cars in the garage and the white picket fence, right? So, and and that is completely, for a parent to have, those expectations of their children is completely normal. You know, for a parent to want good things for their child, to want them to be happy and healthy and successful and loved and have their own families and, you know, a home and and grandchildren and just the whole deal, that is so normal. And and there's nothing wrong with that. And so... To have a parent in your office in their first, I don't know, first or fourth appointment and say to them that the problem is their expectations, I think is very short-sighted. And I think um, I think that's just laziness on the, the counselor's part, you know, to not, to not really take the time to realize what they're dealing with and realize they're dealing with a parent who is um, reeling from not only finding out that their child is not okay, you know, because if if a kid's using drugs and alcohol heavily to the point where it's become a problem, there's something wrong, you know. Um, It may not be that they are a full-blown addict or alcoholic, but there's, there's something going on that needs to be addressed. And so they're already reeling from that. And they're also, you know, they've got all kinds of other, stuff going on, like they're embarrassed and they're scared and um, and they're angry and they just, and, and all of that does come from their expectations being disrupted. But that's not, it's not wrong that they have those expectations, I guess, is, is what I really want to say to people, you know, and, and that we have to 
work with families from that place, that, that of course they have those expectations. And it would be weird if they didn't, <laughs> you know, and that as a treatment professional um, or someone working with a family, it the onus is on us to address that with them in a way that is helpful and not throw a bunch of cliches in their face about expectations breeding resentment and expectations versus reality. Because to tell a parent in that position that their expectations may never be reality is is a little much, <laughs> you know, and to, to throw that at them in that place, I think is detrimental to the relationship that a counselor needs to have with, you know, the, the parents of the children they're working with. And it's just not, it's not fair and it's not nice. And I think it does harm. So, yeah, well, so that's, you know, that's, I, I, that's a lot of what we we started with, you know, when we started talking about this this week. Yeah, and it's 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 a, it's the next wall that we hit as parents uh, because we're we're asked to accept somebody else's definition of expectations when ours have been broken. Um, I would say that mine were more like dreams, um, hopes, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, kind of a, a plan for how things were going to work out inside of our family. And right. when you run into that, I mean, it's gotten to the point. Uh, we were talking about this the other day, where there are people that are that are actually publishing stuff that says that our expectations as parents are premeditated. You know, uh, our oh right, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, they, they, we obviously as parents have a new world to process because everything is raw. Um, you know, emotions are right on the surface. We're not, you know, because uh, there's days that we wake up and we, we want to cry and days we want to, like, punch a hole in the wall or, uh, you know, we're, we're all over the place. And so when you walk into uh, treatment, and then not only that, but our our addicts and our children have expectations with respect to what they're going through at that time, too, because I remember walking my son into the first place and, I, you know, he was looking around and he didn't kind of know what to expect. But I'm sure he had something in mind as to how he was going to be able to escape that situation. Um, you know, so you, you get this battle of wills. And I think the one thing that you were speaking to that I think is really important for parents to understand is it's important not to let those be taken away from you. Um, right. If somebody says that, you know, somebody says, well, the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to lower your expectations because we know for a fact, and, and, and that's kind of white, code codified talk white coat codified where they're telling you that um there's going to be relapses and there probably are uh there's going to be setbacks but there's also going to be progress uh you know so you you have to kind of i think you know look for somebody that is going to be willing to give you the type of empathy that you need based on where you're at Um, and and it's really like a worn out phrase but uh if, if somebody puts you in a corner like that and doesn't let you out of it, you need to fight your way out and say, look, I mean, what are you talking about? When you're talking about expectation right now, what what are you asking me to do? And then if if I don't know what that is, because for me, an an expectation that's not articulated can't be met. If I don't understand what you expect of me, I can't make a decision as to whether or not I'm actually willing to do it or not. And so what happens is that we get into parent groups and because there's that command and control model that's been in business, you know, since the early 1900s, 
they babysit us. You know, we, we have a mm-hmm. counselor in our parent group kind of making sure that our expectations don't get out of the bag, so to speak, to cause kind of a right. revolt. Because, you know, if you're, if your meeting's on a Wednesday night, they don't want 50 parents calling them on Thursday morning because there's been a reality check somewhere because the parent said something about, not out of anger, but out of just basically awareness as to what's happening in that process of recovery. Uh, so right. they, they do sit there and they're kind of like, well, let's get back on topic. As you know, we were going to talk about loving detachment today. And then it's kind of like, you know, your parents, you have to have, you have to have a really strong character, somebody that was more of a renegade. Um, and and I, I don't mean to say that, that I'd like to wear that jacket, but I was like, no, that's not what we want to talk about tonight. Um, you know, the consensus looks to be, and it's kind of like, you know, you don't want to have an overthrow of government, but you're kind of like, okay, let's see a show of hands. Who wants to talk about what what we were talking about before he interrupted or she interrupted? Uh, right. So there again, we've got we've got this whole battle of expectations happening everywhere we go, every minute of our lives, and we're out there. And then and then Jackie, it also applies to just our life. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, my son is is, is is battling addiction right now, and I go see a client, and I go, you you need to lower your expectations because what I'm going through. So it, it affects right. us in our day-to-day existence in a way that goes way beyond what's half treatment room. Um, you know, so I think that uh, one of the, one of my gripes is, and I say this to you all the time, is I really didn't like being treated like an addict. Uh, I didn't like the fact that whatever methodology or theory that they were using, that they were going to do an adaptation of that and then bring that into the parent room um, because it doesn't work that way. Um you know, the idea that my expectations are going to make me addicted to my own addict, um, which kind of goes back to the codependency that we have discussed before, I just think that it's really something that needs to be flushed out. And as you say, it, it does take time for a therapist to be able to sit down or a treatment specialist with a, with a family and, and, and kind of come to a consensus of what this means and how, it, how mm-hmm. debilitating it can be if you let it get out of control because – you can be, we can be very unhealthy as parents. Right. And when we're in that position, we need, we need help. Uh, and that's really, you know, my major point is don't tell me that I'm premeditating something bad. Uh, help me find the good in a situation and what I'm going to learn out of this mistake. Uh, because you really right. do get parents who get so afraid, uh, as you know, Jacqueline, that they just, they won't even make a decision and they won't even, participate with you they're just like well whatever you mm-hmm. think jackie it's fine with me um right you know, i'm going to lower my expectations now where um it's not out of pity it's out of defeat it's like i can't win so i might as well lower them to the point where if anything good happens at least i'm looking up as opposed to always looking over my shoulder for something bad to catch up with me and that's, yeah. it's a really tough way to live our life day to day and then a lot of times we'd go in and we would try to talk to you and we'd be all tongue-tied because we didn't really know what we were talking about. It's hard to articulate right. that feeling. So, uh, but anyway, as you can tell, I'm, I'm really passionate about this one issue, but uh, I, I don't mean to monopolize the time or anything. But uh, I, I do think that you're right on in terms of saying that it needs to be a, a mutually beneficial exchange of not only words but ideas and how we're going to use this together to make the whole family have an opportunity uh, to succeed. Right. 
I yeah, I totally agree. And you know, that's funny when you were talking about, you know, coming in and talking to me and being tongue tied. The first thing that popped up in my head was or talking to me about the wrong things. And I think that that speaks a little bit to that that could be a nice segue into um the other part of the expectations conundrum which is what you and I were talking about the other night where, um, it, you know, it's like parents have this, they, they just, they so badly want to go back to those expectations and those hopes and those dreams and how important it is to, as a treatment professional, to strike this balance of not wanting to like wanting to be encouraging, you know, and provide them with some hope and, and you know, paint them a picture of what it could look like if their child, you know, does figure it out. I, I guess that's the best, the best way to – that's a very vague way to put what happens without really getting into a whole lot of detail right now into what happens when um, a teenager – turns it around, you know, when they, when they kind of figure out that like, oh, this is not the direction I want my life to go in. I really do want to change. And they really do start to make some, some change in their life. And, you know, it's, there's such a balance you have to strike with, I guess, helping parents to, to rebuild expectations, but expectations that are, um, uh, achievable, <laughs> you know, or um, yeah, they're, well, they're re- they have you know, to realistic. be realistic. Yeah. yeah, they have yeah. to be within reach, you know. And and we do right. talk about baby, you know, you talk about baby steps. We hear that a lot as parents, you know, the cliche, you know, never take permanent for or, or temporary for permanent. Temporary for permanent. Know, kind mm-hmm. of temporary. Yeah, to try to jog us out of our position because we can really get into a, a kind of an abyss of negative. Uh, expectations, right. as it were, uh, because we're just waiting for something else bad to happen. Not that we're not already freaked out about the fact that, you know, our child not only now is, like you say, not in school and doing the things that we had thought were going to gain them some success in life and independence, um, right. but not so much for us, but for themselves, but they can't see it. Um, so you, you, you go through these conversations with your child and, and, you know, the reason that we're in there talking to a treatment professional is because we recognize that we need help. Right. And I don't, I, and I think the one thing that happens is, is that, you know, you, you, you know, they don't want to have any sense of flexibility or, or adaptability with respect to their script. Because the way the training works is if you do this and you do this and you do this, and we can maybe hopefully predict this outcome. Um, and you have to have that in any, any mental health field or, or, or behavioral or cognitive approach, whatever you're in. Um, you know, but if the parents are not involved with that process and understanding why those things are happening, um, we kind of go haywire. I mean, our wiring just kind of goes nuts because really none of it makes sense. Um, because, but if you're talking to us like a, like an addict, then it makes it even worse. Uh, because right. we we feel the negativity that you're giving us about. Uh, I was telling sharing a story with you just the other day um, when we got to see each other here in Arizona about 
um, how there are specialists out there that are in the field right now that perform interventions that actually think that the only reason that interventions fail is because we as families fail to follow the orders that are laid out by somebody that doesn't even know us. So they're they're saying that we have 100% predictability based on our model. And I mean Mm -hmm. to tell you, folks that are out there listening, it doesn't exist. Um, if, right. if somebody knew how to do that and could could replicate that process over and over again, uh, we wouldn't even be involved with Family Recovery Project right now. It would have already happened. Uh, but human behavior is just too complex to put everything in that neat little box like that because it puts the onus of having to they say, well, don't accept accountability for your child's choices, but uh, you're still kind of responsible for what they're doing. Uh, which, which, again, is a, is a very conflicting message for us uh, because my expectation is, is that you're going to help me, not, not label me and put me down uh, and call right. names. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a lot of labeling that happens um, because of that, that, that folk theory, you know, and codependency that we had talked about before. So, uh, again, I, I, I admit, I mean, I, you know, as a treatment professional, there's a very, it's a difficult line to walk. And we were talking about this with respect to my son in terms of letting him go and having an expectation that he was going to be this nice, cheery kid um, when, in fact, he's still the same obstinate, disrespectful, foul-mouthed kid uh, still looking to get away with stuff, but he's in treatment. So what am I supposed to think? Uh, So, you you know, you guys have a really difficult time in saying, well, he's still being kind of like, you know, uh, not very cooperative, but, you know, we're still working at it. Uh, right. Because if, if if we hear that as a parent, we lose hope. Because then we're, our, our first question is, well, when do you think it's going to change? And you, you right. can't answer that, you know? Yeah. Right. So, again, our, our, our that, that I can't, you hate to keep saying expectation. We're probably going to say it probably a hundred times tonight, but it, it, it's really what it affects, you know, bottom line is our ability yeah. to be able to stand up, get up the next morning, go to work, face our next day uh, without giving up. Yep. Well, and I think, you know, I think that speaks a little bit to one of the things that you and I have talked about before, which is putting the responsibility for recovery on the child, on the person in recovery and not right. on their counselor, <laughs> you know, and that's so much of the, you know, what, something that we hear and see a lot is that, you know, somehow something that becomes a part of, of treatment and, and having a child in treatment is, um, you know, let them do whatever they want and sobriety should be their number one priority and don't you know it just all of this this like let the let them kind of run wild and and let's not you know let's walk around on eggshells around this kid because they're so messed up and and again I don't think the opposite extreme is healthy either you know where they're punished or made to feel guilty or wrong or bad or you know um like you know, well, now you're in big trouble, mister, and, you know, any of that stuff. But I do think there has to be a balance of, you know, okay, so we, you know, we've done this, you know, we've, we've brought you here to, 
get you help. And now it's your responsibility to get the help and take the and take the help that you've been given and make some changes if that's what you choose to do. You know, and, and I, you know, again, I, I know that that's got to be hard for a parent to do. I mean, I think, it's again, it's, it's absolutely human for a parent to to want to hand them over to the treatment professionals and say, okay, fix it. <laughs> like, please fix this. And I do think that they're, you know, definitely – if you're paying $25,000 for treatment, yes, you should hold the treatment professionals responsible for doing everything that they can, you know, to, and, and giving your child the best treatment that they have available. But I think, I think it's important for there to be, and, and you know, here we are back at this word, some expectations set from the beginning of what is the responsibility of the treatment professional versus what is the responsibility of you know, maybe your 16-year-old child, but okay, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I think the 16-year-olds or 15-year-olds or 14-year-olds or even 13-year-olds um, can shoulder some responsibility in their recovery. And I, think that, and I think that that's healthy. I think that's important. Yeah, and I think that that's what we kind of want them to do. Um, right. But, again, we're, we're both on a different curve or – uh, as we talk, and you know, from a metaphorical sense, we're in different lanes. You know, right. so when we yeah. when we talk to our kid, because there's a lot of times that we're wondering, you know, what we should say because we're not really sure what's being said in the other room. Uh, and what we do is right. we play a lot of guessing games based yeah. on what we're what we're asked to talk about when we're in a group meeting. Or, you know, we get together for coffee or whatever and just want to compare notes about, hey, how's your daughter doing? How's your son doing? You know, what's going on? Right. Um, you know, because basically, I mean, what's going to happen, you can expect without a doubt that when you put your child into treatment, they're going to come home with stories about how bad their treatment specialist is, regardless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that is something that can be expected. It's a little bit different because it's just a natural reaction to uh, a kid getting caught with his hand in a cookie jar. It's not their fault. And, mm -hmm. you know, kind of to fulcrum off what you were just saying, I mean, I think it, we need to give the treatment professionals at least a little bit of benefit of the doubt to think that you're working on a plan. And you know, all we're asking as parents is that those expectations be reasonable uh, and something mm -hmm. that we can work with. And the larger the family you have, uh, sometimes the more complicated and more, if the family's really tightened in, the more in it and the more cohesive they can be in terms of providing that support. Um, because we really do look to other parents to support us because we don't look to a treatment specialist to do that. Um, right. I think we do, I think we do initially, um, until the first, first one maybe up to maybe about the 10th relapse <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you know if, if that's your journey if that's what's destined for you and then after that we just have to kind of keep hoping that things are going to work themselves out okay in, in the long run uh, but we do get we, we do get more obstinate and we do get more kind of like tell me what you're going to do um, mm -hmm. and that's when we're asking for language that we can both agree on um, yeah. So we have that. We have that, that. And I think that's a healthy expectation for a parent to hold. If you don't understand what the therapist is telling you, ask again. You know, yeah. Just ask for some sense of clarification. Um, 
you're not going to find it by somebody telling you, well, you just need to go down to uh, an Al-Anon or an Elohim meeting and, and they'll give you the answers there because it has no connection to what's happening in the other room with your child. Right. Then, then I bring back a message to you and say, okay, well, I went to Al-Anon, they said this, and go, well, I don't know why they would say that. Um, right. So then it just adds, it adds to the chaos uh, because everybody wants to be right. You know, to some extent. And I just think that that part of it is something that parents have to kind of let go of, um, you know, and not relax, but just allow things to come to them in a way that they're meant to be in their time and support. It's like it's kind of like a kid that does foreign school and because they're not willing to do the work and then the parent goes down and chews the teacher out. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. If your kid's not studying and doing their homework, they're going to get a bad grade. Um, right. And our kids, are on, our kids are on the far end of that, that, that pole. They're not only not doing their work, they're doing a lot of other stuff that they shouldn't be, stuff that, get, that could actually get them incarcerated. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, again, it, it, it's with, it, and, and the other thing that you have to deal with, too, with us is our grief. You know, we, we never expected that we would be grieving over our child that's still alive doing things like this. Um, you know, so that, that enters a picture um, pretty often. Uh, but we cycle in and out of our emotional context. And really what we, when we ask a question that really can't be answered, I think I would prefer to have an honest answer and saying, look, we just don't have that specialty here. Um, you know, but I'll help you, I'll help you look. Um, because then that's more hopeful than being given an answer that doesn't work. Yep. And again, not to indict the system, it's just that, you know, again, I mean, you got, you know, in treatment, it's an, I don't, I don't even know how to even be able to, you know, articulate and be able to write an article about how difficult it is for a treatment pro to be on that front line. I just can't imagine. Right. Um, and and yep. you're not only balancing the lives of like a client, many clients. Yeah. Um, you show up. You show up, and one day you think you're doing really well, and the kid's gone. Um, right. Because they're out using again or whatever. I mean, you know. And, and so then you then have to pick yourself up and get back in the game again. Um, and we're not aware of that. All we know is that sometimes we show up on a Monday, and you know. Somebody's not there anymore because they're gone. And I hope that the expectation for parents would be that at least we would be told and not have to find out Monday when we'd be pick up after outpatient, intensive outpatient or residential, you know, call or text. You know, Mm -hmm. Jackie's not here anymore. What happened? Because the treatment center doesn't even tell the kids what's going on. And I, I found that to be something that was really difficult for, for us to deal with as a family, especially for my son. He just right. did not understand. And for him, maybe he was even thinking that maybe he had something to do with it. And as obstinate and as opinionated and as adversarial as he was, he might have had something to do with it. I don't know. Uh, but like I <laughs> right. said, it's one of those things where I, I just think that you were talking earlier at the beginning of the program about having those those avenues of communication open uh, so that you can help us and we can then help you for everybody to have a healthier set of, of, of boundaries when it comes to what we can reach. Right. Yeah. 
Well, I don't have a I don't have a studio monitor up in front of me, Jack. So I'm I'm not quite sure how much time we have left or where we're at. Oh, we're we're good. We, it's uh, we've got 20 minutes left. 23 okay. minutes left. Okay. I think that one of the things that maybe you know, as a parent, if I were going to ask you something that you might be able to help us with, because we let's just let's make an assumption and and, and assume that this is the first this is the first time that a parent's been in to see you. Um, they've already been through assessment. They've been into they've been through intake, and now they're doing because they're doing the work now. Um, and, and a parent comes in and says that you're being mean and unrealistic with them because the tendency for most parents is to take their child's side, even though they've been lied right. and manipulated. Very, very unhealthy place to be. Um, what what would you tell a parent that is processing that to know that you're not, you know, and even... So they'll say, well, let us be the bad guy for a while. You know, they plant these seeds, you know. Uh, you just let right. us take care of nasty work or whatever. And so when our child doesn't like you and continues to talk bad about you because they're feeling uncomfortable in their own skin about their own choices, which is what it is, um, it's still hard not to take the side of the child. I mean, how do you get a parent, what would you tell a parent to help them right now if they're processing that in their life? If they're processing, if their their child is coming to them and saying that the the treatment professional is being mean to them, well, mean and just not getting that, you know, like what they've been through, and they're not maybe, and it could be a, a, a million different things. It's basically that the therapist doesn't really have their best interest at heart to turn the system against, you know, the, the kids going home kind of turn the parents against the system basically. Right. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of have two answers to that. The first thing I think of is um, I don't think parents should automatically think their kid is lying and manipulating them. I think you should. I, I think the most important thing for a parent to do in that situation is to listen, you know, and and I think to, you know, to say, so what do you think we should do? <laughs> you know, um, I, I think that goes back to, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, I think that goes back to, you know, gently putting some of the, some or most of the responsibility for their recovery on the child. And I think that's a great way to start that, you know, and, and to, to get, to get them thinking in terms of, you know, this is your thing. Um, we're here to support you and, we're we're a big part of this process, but ultimately, you know, if if you have a real problem with the person who's providing you treatment, that's going to be, you know, that that could be an obstacle to your recovery. So let's figure that out. And I think just I, I think, you know, it it may feel counterintuitive um, to a parent to do that, especially after they feel so betrayed by their kids when they find out that they are using and, you know, and it seems like such a typical um, tactic, <laughs> you know, uh, to to get out of whatever it is that they, they may not want to do. But, but I do think it's important to, um, to listen and make sure that they feel heard and then to kind of turn it back on them and say, you know, well, 
I know how I would handle it, but what do you think? You know, what do you, is there anything you think you can do? Do you think you could talk to them? Um, do you think maybe you could give it another, you know, three days and see if it doesn't get better? Maybe they were having a bad day. Cause that's, you know, that's definitely, um, another piece I think that, that happens with treatment professionals is, is they're expected to always be on and always, right. you know, say all the right things and do all the right things. And that's, that, that's right there is an unrealistic expectation because they're human. Um, and a lot of times in a lot of programs in recovery themselves. So I, you know, I do, I, I, I understand it probably sounds like a lot to ask of a parent in that situation when they're already probably in so much fear and um, uncertainty to say, well, hear them out, you know, and, and, and if, and I think really listening to kind of that, your, your inner, your inner knowingness and, and knowing your child and how your child handles these situations, I think you've got a way out. Is it worth it to, you know, storm into the treatment center the next day and say, what the hell is going on here? Or is it worth it to kind of, you know, to really listen and go, God, yeah, that, that sounds like a, a total drag. And, you know, what, what do you think you can do about it? <laughs> you know, um, I think is a, is a good first place to start. And then beyond that, you know, I think if it, if it continues to be an issue, um, I think, yeah, you, you do, you have to go into, you know, first start with their, their direct contact person and say, you know, here's what they're saying. Can you, can you give me some, a little bit of insight into what's going on here? And is this, do you, you know, is there a problem between you two? Should we maybe find another counselor or, um, you know, is this just a part of the process? But, but I do think a parent always has to, you know, they're, they, they do have to kind of balance um, between those two worlds of, okay, this could be my kid manipulating me and which would be normal, or this could be this treatment person just may not be right for them, which would also be normal. And, um, and, and, and kind of wade through that. And and I think as a treatment professional, um, because that, I mean, that definitely, I mean, you know, your son complained about me all the time. I, you know, I definitely did have parents who would come into me and say, you know, he says that you told him this and, and I can tell you nine times out of 10, it was, well, yes, you know, I I did request that your son, you know, whatever, you know, uh, be honest in all things. And and I understand that he, what he heard was me calling him a liar. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there were definitely those situations where I would have to explain, you know, um, that sometimes the perception is a little bit different from what I actually said. And at the same time, I had to be very conscientious of, okay, am I, how is my communication? You know, and I was, I did check myself and I, I, I did try to stay very aware of not, because it's real easy um, when you've got eight, you know, people in a room who are in various stages of withdrawal from drugs and alcohol and, and various other things, you you do have to be careful to keep your own emotions in check as a treatment professional. Um, right. And to be very aware of how you're wording things, because, I, you know, I, I do understand that 
their you know, sensitivities run high and things may be perceived in a different way than I actually meant them. And, um, and that, that definitely is a huge challenge. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would, if a parent came to me and said, you know, my, my child feels like you're, you know, talking harshly to him or, or whatever. I mean, a couple of things would happen and that would be first and foremost, um, I'm really sorry he feels that way and let me let me be transparent with you and explain to you what happened and you tell me if you think I was being too harsh. <laughs> you know, I mean that's that's how I always handle those situations. Um right. because but, I never but, wanted but I, a parent to feel uncomfortable with how I was treating their child because I was you know, I was in a room with them for four ish, if not more, hours a day and and I, I did get that, you know, parents felt very powerless over what was being said and done in that room. And I did my best to make them feel like they had an idea of what was going on without getting into, you know, breaking confidentiality, you know, et cetera. So. Right. So, so what I hear you saying is it's important to have communication all the way around mm -hmm. and, right. yep. you know, not, not be afraid to, you know, I think that, that, uh, it's it's really easy for a parent to jump uh and escalate from a fear position into anger uh and just trying to right. process what's going on and and a therapist is just as easy to pick on as the somebody that your child is using with um because it's kind of you know we're trying to figure out how to separate those uh influences in their lives i mean we're looking for something positive obviously to come out of treatment um, right. Because we've paid, we've paid X amount of dollars. We expect something to be happening. Um, so you know, you we, you kind of like want things to start moving forward. Um, I, I know that there are a number of parents that like to have it think, or they would, they would, their expectation would be that within two weeks things are going to kind of like start turning around. Right. Um, right. And we talked about this the other day about how our kids learn how to come home and tell us if they're if they're an outpatient, especially they come home and they learn what they need to say to keep the peace. And then they right. walk out the front door and they continue to do what they're doing. Um, you know, so I, I think that part of it is something that we have to just kind of be aware of as parents and mm -hmm. not make it something that's going to be a deal breaker. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I really had somebody that told me one time when we were doing an intake and assessment for my son that uh, my son was going to lie to them and or lie to me about them and that I shouldn't uh -huh. listen because it's a very <laughs> natural process. <laughs> that but scary. it was the way it, it was the way that it was the way that she said it that really made me feel uneasy about yeah. whether I was being manipulated or whether she was telling me the truth or not, uh, which right. kind of goes back right. to that same command and control thing. You know, it's like a, it, it's a fact that your son is going to be lying to you by Friday. Right. And I'm right. like, oh, why? You know, I mean, he lies to me already right. as it is. Um, but we all have our stories to share, and we do it in different ways, and so do our kids. Um, right. You know, I, I was telling you a story about the other young man that I was talking to this last week, and he just said that he never really had an, an aha or a moment of epiphany. His was just mm -hmm. a very gradual day-to-time process. Uh, yeah. And he said it was really, it was hard on his parents because he just couldn't say one day, you know, I'm going to quit all this stuff. 
Um, but he was slowly making his mind up to get there, and now he's got over seven years clean. Uh, so right. you know, for parents that are out there, you know, I, I guess the big thing is just not to lose that sense of hope based on allowing yourself to lower your expectations to the point where the only way that you're looking is up. Um, right. Because you do lose part of yourself in that process. Um you know, and, and it's tough to talk about the reality part of it because you know that people can have lofty expectations that are not getting met. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I think parents do a good job of helping other parents to do that too, but it would be really nice to have everybody on the same page working on it at the same time. You know? Yeah. And, and then allow parent group meetings sometimes just to be what they're supposed to be, whatever it is that they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, because that was one of my... And after six years of being in treatment and, and, and literally hundreds and hundreds of, of, of parent meetings and, and support group meetings, I mean, I just it bother me. This is not what I want to yeah. talk about tonight. Yep. You know, so again, it's my expectation, though. So I don't mean to make it sound like there wasn't anything for me to learn that night. I just didn't. It's not what I wanted because I, yeah. I was in a different place. So... But anyway, yeah, I, I, I uh, uh, thanks, Jackie, for sharing your perspective on, you know, what parents would be looking for or should be looking for and, and keeping all those lines of communication as open as possible. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, I, I was thinking, I mean, you know, while you were talking, I was thinking about this, too. Like, I mean, it's so, it's that's another one of those things that gets thrown around. It's like communication, 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 which is true, absolutely. But I think that even in of itself is a little bit too vague because, yes, there definitely needs to be communication, but I I also always encourage people to think critically, you know, like like that example you gave of the treatment center that said, oh, he's just going to lie to you um, and don't listen to him is, I mean, that's just, that is disgraceful. I mean, that, that is, to me, that is lazy And that's not helpful to anything and may not be true. And I think what you're doing when you say things like that to someone in the place that parents are when they are putting their child in treatment, and I don't care how many times it's been, is you're setting up this paranoia and you're setting up this distrust between them and their child and possibly between them and you, which is a huge problem when you're trying to really help someone and help their family. Because right. everyone is different. And I think, you know, that's why I, that's why when I write and when I talk about this stuff, I say, you know, this may apply to you or it may not. And this is really, you know, um, normal and this kind of stuff happens in these situations. But it might not happen to you. Because I really right. encourage people to, like, they've got to use their own brain and they've got to use their knowledge and their understanding and their experience with their child that they gave birth to and raised. (laughs) And even if they didn't, you know, if they're adopted, they they still raise them and have that bond with them and know them better than anyone. And they've really got to use that roadmap to think through, okay, what do I, what do I really think is going on here? And I think a, a, a treatment professional has got to honor that. And I think right. on all sides, we've, we've, we've got to be thinking 
through each situation thoughtfully. You know, I don't think we, I think, again, as humans, it is completely normal and natural for us to want to put everything in its box and make everything fit somehow. But, I, you know, at some point, you've got to realize that is just not how life works, <laughs> especially when you're dealing with, you know, treatment and, and drugs and alcohol. I mean, it's just not everyone is not the same and everyone does not act the same way and and everyone does not have the same experiences and you know i mean i've had plenty of people that i worked with that their first day of treatment they were like oh my gosh like i saw the light bulb come on and it was you know it was smooth sailing from there and if you ask someone you know in in the treatment field like oh what if they get it on the first day their response would probably be, oh, that's, you know, that never happens. But that's not true at all. Now, does that mean that that kid is perfect from there on out? No. Because being a teenager, inherent in being a teenager, is making mistakes. And sure. being a jerk sometimes, you know. I, I was talking to someone about this today about we were watching this show and someone was talking about how because of technology and email and text and Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and whatever – so many people are, they're losing the ability to respond to situations in the moment because they're so used to being able to edit before they respond and how that muscle and that part of us that, that, that learns those things. And I learned how to treat people from not treating people well, <laughs> you know, and dealing with the right. internal consequences of just being mean to somebody and how I felt after that person walked away and how a lot of people are are losing that, um, you know, that kind of that self-knowledge and self-awareness because they don't have to deal with it because they can text or email and and you don't really have to deal with that in-the-moment confrontation and and hearing words come out of your mouth and, and then going, oh, wow, I just said that, you know, and... And I really think that it's it's so important to understand that that is a part of adolescence and that's a part of growing up. And, I mean, that was a part of my 20s. <laughs> you know, that wasn't just when I was a teenager, you know, because you have to learn those things in, in all these different settings and situations in order to to learn how to do it right. And And I think to, you know, to go from – uh, you know, to come from a place of, of you're working with someone who is in that place on top of possibly, you know, being in the world of, of drugs and alcohol, um, you, you can't, you can, nothing can be a blanket statement. And there's no one plus one equals two in those situations. There is, we've got some standard ideals that we are kind of a foundation that we're working with, but everybody's different. And, and everybody in all of involved in the entire situation has, has got to be able to think about what they're hearing and what they're doing and what they're saying and how they're handling things from a place of that one moment and that one situation and not, and it, so that, that's why that bothers me so much. 
you know, that, that right. someone who may have only known your son for a couple of days just looked at you and said, well, he's going to lie to you. You know, even though it may have been true, even though he may have lied to you, I think that's just a really dangerous precedent to set that early on, you know, so. Can I- I think at that moment, I know we're probably running short on time, but it, it had more to do with a theoretical supremacy that they were involved with. Right, right, um, yeah. And they, their, their model was not going to shift for me or my son. Uh, mm-hmm. For the kids that chose it, for the family that chose it, good for you. For those that don't, um, we'll have somebody in your seat next week, you know, type thinking. Yep. Um, well, and, right, and I think that, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, that, that's, that's why that's so dangerous. Right. Because that and is then what we, it sets up. And then we, as parents, so then we hopscotch um, from right. one treatment facility to the other, and then we get distrustful because our expectations are not, are not lower with respect to what we want for a child, but what we would expect right. from a treatment pro. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and that gives them license to – it then gives the treatment professional to be an license to be an asshole. You know, right. like, well, they said that if you told me you were going to lie to me and not to believe you, but this is the third time you've come home and said that this guy threw an ashtray at your head, and I kind of have a problem with that. You know, I mean, right, right. That I, I just, I feel like that you're right. Theoretical supremacy is absolutely what that is, and and I, I feel like that's, you know, that's not, we're, that that's not really helping people. That's that's just you know, you're, you're trying to cover your bottom line, which is fine, but let's just be clear about that from the front, (laughs) you know, like, let's not, let's not say that what we're looking to do is really help families and, and repair relationships. Let's be honest about the fact that we're, you know, we're, we're looking to fill seats and, and pack as many people in and get them through as, as quickly as possible because that, that might work for some people, but I think people should know that on the front end that this is not going to be an individualized treatment process, you know. So you're right. We are running right. low on time. We're, we're, we have a little bit less than two minutes. So anything else you'd like to, to throw out there before we're out of time? You know, just, just really quickly, I mean, I think that this is, it, it, this is a crux of what affects us and will affect us for a while as parents and the family community. So, uh, we will be talking about this again uh, next week just to kind of uh, give uh, Jacqueline and I time to right. review what we've talked about tonight and then have some a little bit of closure on it, you know, next week uh, before we move on. Uh, and right yeah. now, I mean, I just think that it's just, it's just uh, you know, telling parents to keep the hope and yes. not to be afraid to ask for clarity. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think that's what sticks in my mind and after this conversation is just, just ask questions. Um you know, not not to be a jerk, but to just to, to be clear about what's going on. Yes, absolutely. You're not a jerk if you're asking questions and you're demanding clarity and understanding from someone that you're paying to help your child. <laughs> right. um, I'll just say that straight out. So, okay. so we're we're about thirty seconds out. So if um, if you like what you heard tonight and you'd like to contact either one of us, we are Frank or Jacqueline at thefamilyrecoveryproject.com, and our website is also thefamilyrecoveryproject.com. We will be back with you next 
Sunday. Ooh, actually, we may be at a different time next Sunday as well, but we'll we'll keep you posted on our Facebook page. Um, you can always find us there, and feel free to give us a like and send us a message. And we really enjoy doing this every week, and we hope you do too. So thanks, Frank. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Jacqueline. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.